You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome back to Flying the Call. Coming at you a day early, but also two weeks late. Just for the next couple weeks, I'm going to be posting episodes on Wednesday and Thursday to make up for the couple episodes I missed in case anyone missed me. Um, today I'm talking to James Barrett about his album, A Series of Mostly Nothing, which is just about to hit its six-month-old mark. It has a huge sound, really awesome artwork, and a great story behind it. So I'm talking to James about the environment in which it was created, throwing yourself wholeheartedly into your music, and crafting you know, this, like I said, enormous sound that really fills a room. This is an album that's certainly been on my, you know, on my radar for a while, on my on repeat for a while, and one that I super enjoy, and I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation and hopefully check it out. heard you mention before that you kind of have like an orchestral background and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and kind of how it plays into your writing. Sure. Um, so yeah, I did uh, throughout middle school and high school. Um, I did orchestra and I played like the string bass and uh, I also did like, you know, my sister was in orchestra in high school. So I was just kind of like had like an interest in it. So when I was in high school, I did a lot of like the, the district and regional competition festivals and stuff so like that's where i learned how to read music even though i haven't done it in years now but i think um doing those festivals and just like spending three days learning like one symphony like kind of changed the way i just viewed music in a way just because like it's like days and days for just like one massive piece which i think is awesome you know and i think like that's kind of how it is with records and stuff where like you know i always think of the whole picture I guess. And I think when you incorporate strings and brass and stuff, you can really like make it its own thing, you know, from like start to finish at the end of a record. So really just doing orchestra and stuff in high school made me really drawn to it. And I really haven't played anything in orchestra since I graduated, but I think it definitely like changed the way I wrote music. And with this album, I knew I wanted to get strings incorporated with it. So it was, it was real fun just like writing the string parts and the, you know, all the other accompaniments and stuff like that. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, can you talk a little bit about kind of like the structure of an album as like a big piece, you know, it's kind of like bookended by the big seven minute opener and then, you know, the, the other title track, mostly nothing. And then with sort of this like postscript of thinking of a place. Yeah. I, I, I tried to like make mostly nothing like the penultimate track. And then just like, yeah, like you said, like postscript, just like kind of end it on a softer note, especially since I think a series of the first song is so like huge by the end of it that I thought like it'd be nice to end on a more subtle note. I think with like, for me, I I always just write in like terms of like an album and stuff. And I feel like I, 
once I start working on one, it's like all I think about and do until it's done. And I, I can't think about anything else. So this, this record took like about two years to like fully make. I started writing it in uh, October 2019. And I think I probably finished writing it the following summer. And then it took, we didn't finish recording it and mastering it until last February. So like, it was just like a giant process. But I love, like, that's what I love about making records and stuff. It's just like, it's, you know, it's a huge part of, you know, my life for a couple of years at a time. And it definitely just like, you know, encapsulates like the whole essence of writing a record, you know, and like in terms of like your memories and stuff, I feel like it just like, when I look back on the last couple of years of my life now and probably in a couple of years, like all I will think about are these songs and whatnot. Yeah. And as far as like the kind of like piecing it together to create like the this cohesive experience, does that kind of happen like as you're going along or does it, is it more in the, the post? Yeah, I feel like it does because I it, it's super weird. I've never had like a straightforward writing process. Um, it, it's just so scrambled. And I think like a lot of the times, like, for instance, with the U-Haul, I wrote that song and I already had started the music for The Art of Letting Go maybe two months prior. And this is going back to like 2019. And since they were in the same key, I kind of just thought like this would be real cool to, you know, go from U-Haul straight into The Art of Letting Go because like that's just kind of how the way like when I am grieving and stuff, like my moods work where it's like one moment I'm, you know, like feeling like absolute shit. And then like the next moment I'm ready to go and take life you know <laughs> and see what happens and i kind of wanted to incorporate that into the listening experience so i actually like really think about the structure of records and like how to make like you know where to put each song and um for a long time i kept wondering if i would even like have thinking of a place be the last song after mostly nothing because i thought most nothing probably was like the, the actual closer but then i'm kind of happy i ended up going with like the the order i did but i i definitely like have a lot of fun in putting it all together because it kind of feels like a puzzle and my last record the price of comfort actually every song goes right into the next one i wanted to do that a little bit with this record but not as extreme because i think it has its ups and downs in terms of like from the perspective of a listener but i think yeah i, I just love the whole process of like putting stuff together the, like the puzzle aspect of it Sure. Yeah. I mean, while we're kind of like on the subject of the album itself, um, I know the vinyl just finally came in the other day. Can you talk about that? And like, especially like the artwork and the packaging, like I love how like the front and the back and the insert kind of create this one large image. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so all the artwork was done by my friend, Alyssa Napora. She's like absolutely out of her mind and incredible when it comes to art and like drawing and stuff. So like I, I've always known her just through, through like living in Scranton and she was from the Scranton area. And uh, I reached out to her probably in the beginning of 2020 and we didn't start working on artwork for probably another year, but I just knew I wanted her to be the one to do it. And we had a lot of ideas, but we never really knew what we were going to go with. And then the, the house on the artwork is uh, a real place actually. Um, so I'll just back up just for a second. Cause I think this all makes, the whole thing better so uh when the pandemic started the studio that we recorded at uh oh my god that was the first song we recorded uh back in february 2020 it closed so i realized like, i had no studios open and like there was really no i had no idea how to like record an album but my sister had just moved in with her boyfriend and in their backyard was 
this little tiny house, which is the house uh, depicted on the artwork. And when I saw it, I thought to myself, like, this could be like the spot. This could be where I just like sit and get all my shit recorded and, you know, not have to worry about like studios being open, not have to worry about paying a studio rate um, or anything like that. So we pretty much, me and Jake Checkaway, who, uh, he's, you know, he's recorded Origami Angel, uh, Sleeping Patterns, a lot of great stuff. Um, he's been recording me forever. Uh, in the summer, he ended up coming down uh, to record and we went in the mini house and then we ended up just for the next two years, he eventually moved in, which is crazy. Uh, but he moved into the house and we just recorded everything in that little house. So it was Alyssa's idea to incorporate it into the artwork, which I think is truly like brilliant. And, uh, just because I, when I was recording, I would like post a picture of the house like every day. People were asking me if I was living in there. So I would just post a picture of the house every single day. So when I finally got to show everyone the artwork, everyone like lost their mind because they knew exactly what it was. And I just constantly have been posting about it for like two years straight. So um, it was just a really cool, like full circle moment in life. But uh, so it was her idea to draw the house. And she's like, I kind of want to just draw the house. And like, if you like it, we can use it. If not, she's like, I kind of want to just do it. So she drew it and then she ended up making the whole entire image. Um, so like if you actually took the front cover, the the two pieces on the back of the lyric sheet and the back cover, it would all actually create one big thing. So she did like the front cover as the house itself and then the back cover as this like twilight zone version of it where it's like a little eerie and, you know, spooky. But uh yeah, I think she the artwork is one of the my like one of the best parts of this entire album, I think. And I think it would be like incomplete without it. So yeah, I think like the whole I, I'm so excited to see it like in person. I haven't even seen it yet. I just got a picture from the uh owner of the label. So I'm just I'm so excited to finally see it with my own eyes after all this time yeah i mean before i even press play on like one of your songs like that that was what got me to to the point where i pressed play like when i saw refresh post the uh the artwork and the, the packaging oh, and stuff. That's i was awesome. like this is like amazing and i have to see what the music behind it is <laughs> holy shit that's awesome that, and that, that's what i think like having beautiful artwork is so important you know i think like having something that's like captivating to the eye like it it just can draw people in, you know, for sure. And that's what I always try to do. So I always have like, there's always a lot of pressure for me when it comes to like thinking of like what the hell the art's going to be. And I could not be more, you know, satisfied with how all this came out. I think it's, it's awesome, you know, especially since like it's a, a place that I spent so much time in <laughs> to see it drawn, you know, and it's funny for like my sister's boyfriend or now fiance. He's like, I never thought this little house would have so much significance you know but now like everyone that knows me knows what it is it's real cool yeah i mean you mentioned kind of like as soon as you, you saw it you were like well this could be the place like what was it that kind of like drew you to it i always just loved like the idea of like little houses you know like just like little compact things where it's like efficient you have everything you need so like between that and then like I have so much recording history of just like, you know, my, the price of comfort we did, the drums in the studio in, uh, Philly and then everything else, all the guitars, vocals, bass, synth, everything was recorded in Jake's like bedroom and his like a college apartment house. So like I'm used to recording in smaller spaces. So it's funny that this tiny house is actually a lot bigger than what I'm used to like recording in. And when I saw it, like, uh, so we, 
this was May of 2020 and I saw the house and I was like, holy shit, like what the hell is that? You know? And I walked inside and it's like, it's like one, when I say big room, it's not a big room, but there's only one room. So it's the biggest room in the house. Uh, but it's one room and then there's like a little tiny walk like way that leads to like a fridge and like a little shelf and a cabinet. And then you take a left and there's a bathroom with like a toilet, sink, shower and everything. So I saw it and I was like, this is fucking awesome. And he said he used to rent it out to people for like 300 a month, but he stopped. And I just thought, like, this is, this is so cool. Like this could be like so, uh, special because like it could be like, you know, I could have Jake come in and we could stay here and then I have to really see anyone and just do our own thing. And like, it just like, there was something about it. Like I, I always think back to like when I hear some of the songs in the album, like it makes me think of like the first couple days of recording in the house and just how like, I just knew, you know, like I, something about it just like spoke to me and I was like, I just knew like this was, this is what it was supposed to be and like where we were supposed to do it. And like, I think it was just fun because there was like no time pressure. We kind of just took as long as we wanted to do everything. And it was just a very like laid back, fun way to record an album. Um, everything except the drums were recorded in the house, recorded in the house. Uh, all the drums were actually recorded in Los Angeles by uh my childhood friend Billy Garrity, who is like a Berkeley graduate and uh like probably the best drummer I've ever met. And he lived in a recording studio in Los Angeles. So I would demo the songs here, send it to him in Los Angeles. He would drum, send us the drums, and then I'd re I'd record everything back again in many house. Uh and that's how we did like the whole record. And was that like uh, a function of the pandemic or do you think that would have kind of like gone that way otherwise? So I think it's funny enough. I think it would have gone that way because when I recorded, Oh my God, uh, in February of that year of 2020, I didn't really have like a whole album written. I had that song and I actually just put a record out, but like I was just so like emotionally past it because it took that first record, the price of comfort took me like, like three, four years to finally get out. Um, cause it was my first full band album. So, like by the time it came out, I was already like, I was ready to like get to work and start something new. And so I recorded, Oh my God, I talked to Billy when he came home, uh, that, that winter break. And, uh, we just decided to like, he's like, yeah, I can actually, I was like, Billy, would you go to record the drums? You know, like, and just send it to me. And he was totally down. So we did it with one song. It worked out so good. And I actually got the drums as I was driving to Massachusetts, like I was driving that day to go to the studio to record all the guitar parts. And I had yet to get the drum tracks. And then Billy sent them to me that morning. And I remember Jake was like terrified. He said, I hope they don't, I hope they, you know, I hope everything comes out. Okay. And there's nothing we need to change. Cause we have the studio time booked and I'm driving four and a half hours to go there. And Jake texted me and he was like, dude, he's like, they sound so good. He's like, they're perfect. So I was like, in that moment, I knew this is a good method to, go about doing the rest of this record and then i didn't even know the pandemic was going to happen you know uh and then a month later it happened and i was like okay well at least i have the drums figured out <laughs> you know everything else i have no idea but and then the mini house presented itself and the rest is history <laughs> yeah i mean you mentioned kind of like being used to this sort of you know these confined recording spaces i'm curious how that kind of like affects you know your sound which is like you know I would consider it to be like a pretty huge sound. Like yeah. it must really f fill the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was actually funny. You know, like 
even after all these years of recording stuff with Jake, like I know no matter where we record, we're going to get like a massive sound. But I definitely had a little bit of uh, nerves when we first went to the mini house. It was like, I hope we can recreate, you know, like especially like, oh my God, with such like a, a massive song. And like, you know, sonically and then like, for me personally and just everything. And I was like, I need to, since that's what we're like using as like the precedent for this record. I'm like, we need to recreate songs at that, you know, volume um so i recorded that whole song in a studio where we were blaring guitars and like had all these compressors and shit and then now we're going into this little house not like we have to try to do the same thing but uh it it never ended up being an issue you know like we were cranking guitar so it was, it was we we pretty much we actually ended up miking uh almost all of the guitars in the bathroom um so we had we like put the the amp in the bathroom and had it mic'd up twice and then had a room mic and we did pretty much all of the guitars as if it really you know controlled the sound that much but it helped a little bit but yeah so i mean like i definitely had a little bit of nerves but i i trust jake chuckler with my life and uh he never fails to deliver a massive sounding record so uh i just knew no matter where i'm doing it as long as he's the guy you know behind the desk it's gonna be at you know where where i want it to be yeah i mean how did you kind of like initially go about crafting that sound because like it is it definitely has like this you know massive feel to it but also has kind of like this almost like dissonant melancholy as well that's a good question so i feel like so when i started my solo music I always just like, I had a bunch of bands in high school and then I had a band after high school called Embera. So then I always was like balancing like a band and then like James Barrett, a band and then James Barrett. And it just kind of like, at one point I realized like I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot by dividing my time into two things when it really should be one that I can just focus on. And I had like this like, you know, internal crisis of like, can I release stadium rock arena rock music under my name because that's weird you know and because i feel like most of the time like solo artists are just putting out either like acoustic albums or like pop albums or rap albums you know it's just like i feel like like just massive rock albums by like a solo artist for something i was used to so it kind of freaked me out a bit but finally one day my friend quinn just told me dude you can do whatever you want like you did all up to you you know, and I realized like everyone knew me and it was hard to get people to know my band. So, uh, I just started transitioning like the sound of my band Embera kind of into just my own songs that I was writing. And, you know, I had no idea what to expect because like I would write a lot of these songs. Like, my brother's a drummer. Um, so like the first album I was able to like practice with him in my basement at the time when he still lived home and kind of put the songs together. So like, we first recorded the first ever full band song. It was the first days of July. And that was back in like 2018. And like, I had no idea what to expect, what to do, because I was so used to putting out just like acoustic songs or just like songs that were just me on my electric guitar. And now I was trying to incorporate other instruments and stuff. And I feel like once I did one song and I realized like I can do this, you know, I can do this with anything. It just like, it got so much easier. And like, now it feels like, I don't have to think that hard, which is crazy to just like write or like put these songs together. I feel like a lot of the times, like it just comes so naturally now. And like having other instruments, I think takes away from the pressure of like the lyrics needing to be so depressing or like vocals having, you know, so I think like when I, when I wrote like my older EPs, I know that I like 
I need to make these captivating. And the only way to do that when it's just you and a guitar, I feel like, is to like really fuck someone up with the words. <laughs> so I kind of got sick of that. So I tried to just find a balance of, you know, using instruments and other things as ways to convey emotion. And I think like you can do that in such great ways of like drums and bass and strings and piano and like just like any you know every instrument has its own voice so i feel like once i realize that like i don't have to solely rely on my own to you know incorporate uh an emotion it just made like writing these songs even better so i think by the time i got to this record i just knew i wanted to do something like massive as big as i could possibly make it yeah, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, kind of other uh, instruments like uh, filling in where the vocals normally are, because that's something I noticed as well. Like they're not quite buried or and not quite like ethereal, but they kind of like have this effect on them that like you really do have to kind of like pay a little bit more attention to really hear them. And it also almost makes it sound like, you know, an, an additional instrument rather than the focus. Like how did you kind of like develop that? Oh, that's that. I, I I really do give a lot of credit to Jake Chekulet because I think like he just has a good ear for like blending everything super well, and I think it just works well because like a lot of my vocal patterns I write, like I never write lyrics first. I always write the music first, so I uh, I always typically follow you know what I'm doing on guitar or a different instrument with the vocals. So like at this point now, it seems like even though I still think vocals and lyrics are like the most important part of like anything. Um, it's a lot less pressure because it's like, everything's already there for me. I just have to get my thoughts out and, you know, and say what I want to say. So, uh, I think having songs that are built around like instrumental melodies is like the way to like, how I kind of like got this sound, you know? And then I, I also bought, like a brand new synthesizer before this record so i it opened my world to like literally over a thousand different sounds that I'm, you know plus midi and stuff so like it just like the possibilities felt endless you know so i i think just incorporating as many instruments as i possibly could really allowed like just other parts to shine you know i think that's that's the what i was trying to go for for sure. Yeah. And I mean, kind of uh, an outlier about what we're talking to is Yellow Paint, which is, you know, more of a stripped down piano-y track. Um, how did that one kind of come together for you? So that, uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm writing this piece for the alternative right now. It's like a track by track analysis of the the album. And uh, one of the concepts I'm trying to write about is like when you feel like you've like known a song your entire life. And like, you have to ask yourself, like, did I really write this or like, did I steal it from someone? But like, that's kind of how Yellow Paint came. So like, in terms of just like the piano songs in general, I was forcing myself at the end of 2019 to like learn piano because I was just like going through a bunch of horrible shit and I needed like something to distract me and, and motivate me. And I, I wasn't getting it out of guitar and I just, I had this piano in my house forever. So I started practicing as much as I could and soon i wrote u-haul and then months later came yellow paint and like yellow paint was usually the the hardest song to write on the record and took me the longest because like number one i was not good at piano for the first like year of trying to write the song which was so frustrating that i was like i know what i'm supposed to play but i don't know how to do it <laughs> and i 
I started writing that song in May of 2020, and it just came like the intro came so naturally, and it's, I just like I don't know. It, it it took me a really long time to figure out exactly what I wanted to that song, and like the lyrics changed a bunch of times. Um, and it definitely was like the song I felt I think the most pressure about and like the most insecure about. But I knew that like it would be the song that most people would like the most. So uh, it definitely was a lot of pressure and whatnot. But I, it's probably like the mo- one of the most proud or the proudest I've ever been of a song because I'm still trying to learn piano, you know, and I do everything just kind of by ear and like hope that I can do something that sounds good. So like that song was definitely a big challenge. But uh, I just yeah I love the way it came out. My friend Teddy is uh, amazing amazing celloist and uh i had him be a part of it and i think the strings i also had jimmy montague uh another fantastic artist in the scene he also did violin and viola tracks for me and sent them in uh for that song so like it just everything about it getting together so well and my friend amanda of sweetness she sings on every song on the record her voice comes in so nice on it too so i just yeah i uh i love the way that one came out and everyone that was a part of it I still today ask myself, like, how the hell did I write this song? <laughs> yeah, some one thing that I do for, um, like, a lot of albums, especially longer ones, is, like, I'll make, you know, a playlist of, like, the four or five of my favorite songs that I feel like, you know, when I don't have the time to listen to the full album will still give me, like, the the scope of the album. So for this, I'd have, like, a series of The Art of Letting Go, Yellow Paint, and Mostly Nothing. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm I'm curious, like, do you feel that that is kind of like an accurate arc of the album, or is there like another song that you think would really kind of fit better in there? I, I would say that most people say you always love song and oh my god in that mix. Um, but I I you know I really didn't know what to expect when I put the album out, and I've gotten many different answers. Yellow paint usually always in the mix, and mostly nothing is surprisingly not surprisingly, but like it's hard to get songs at the end of the album in like people's list of like the best songs on the record because like a lot of times people don't make it all the way through. And mostly nothing was a song that was constantly in people's like top songs on the record. But I feel like you yeah, you pretty much got all of them. I think the only exception would be like Love Song and Oh My God are always like other big parts for like at least myself and then other people that seem to like the album. But yeah, I think those are definitely like the the key parts and I, I but then I've also had people tell me that, like, I Saw You Would Die is their favorite song. Just a depressing, <laughs> depressing song to choose. But uh, it's cool, though, because it just, like, it makes me feel like I'm not writing fillers, you know? Like, I like when people tell me that other songs stick out for them. I've gotten Master Plan a bunch, too. Since I Left the Salon is my sister's favorite song on the record. So it's cool. I, I like to believe that, like, there's a good mix of all the songs in there for, like, every person. Yeah, I think that's awesome that it shows that, you know, people are really, you know, experiencing the album as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That, that's always my goal. You know, I always try to get people to listen to it front to back if possible. So I, I like to view it, like I said, as like a as like a production. You know, I, that's the way that was what I was trying to like uh, convey is like this being like a theatrical production where like it's from start to end where like you wouldn't go to like a, a Broadway show and just like see random parts all over the place and then put it together. Like to me, it's like it's got to be front to back or like, yeah, not all the time. Like you're just going to listen to a couple of songs because you're like in a rush or something like that. That's fine. But 
I mean, for like the first time listening, <laughs> I should say. A lot of the album kind of came together as like deal, you dealing with like this fallout of a breakup that kind of, you know, put you in a headspace where you weren't really able to push the price of comfort as much as you maybe kind of like wish you had. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you definitely. like compare those two album rollouts a little bit? Yeah, no, definitely. I really like the price of comfort came out at like the peak of my life falling apart. <laughs> uh, and like out of like my entire, you know, almost 25 years of being alive, like the, the, year, like the process of writing this album was definitely like the darkest time of my life. And it started right when the price of comfort came out and like that album came out and I just had no desire to really do anything with it or like move it or like push it. I was just so like, stuck in the aftermath of a really, really bad breakup that I never thought I could like be hindered by this much. And uh, it, it definitely like impacted the way I look back on the price of comfort. And like, I think now as the years have gone by, like I, I still, I, I've learned to appreciate that album for what it is. And like, I don't look at it the same way, but I, I felt like when it first came out and I was going through all this shit, like I kind of just like wanted to forget about it. I just like, I need to do something else because I can't think about anything else. And now I'm able to like appreciate it for what it is. But I think that the price of comfort was the start of like this sound, you know, it's like the transition from like my solo stuff, like my just me on a guitar to a, a full band. And then I feel like that was like the, the trial run. <laughs> and this album was like the, the real deal. Like what I was trying to do all, what I've been trying to do for my entire life essentially is like make an album like this one. Um, so I think there's a lot of similarities. I think it's just taking what the price of comfort did and really expanding on it in terms of instrumentation and, and lyrics and stuff. And also just like the sounds of the synths and stuff are different. And I wrote a lot of those songs in the price of comfort when I was really young, like 17 to like 20 years old, you know, and not that it's that big of a difference to write them from like, 20 to 23 i just definitely was like a way different person at that point in my life and uh i think it definitely can show on this record yeah i mean is there anything like about the price of comfort that you kind of weren't able to talk about because of the way things panned out that you kind of you know really would like people to know i feel like that album i'm still very proud of the way that album came out because that to me was like i tried to create Again, similar to what I did in this album, but like an album that represents like, like emotionally, like, you know, someone who's emotionally up and down all the time, which is how I felt for a really long time in my life and still do. But like, just like the insane highs and lows that people feel when they're struggling. And I think like the price of comfort all being continuous, every song goes into the next one. That's what I was just trying to convey is like how in the span of 40 minutes you can feel all of these different things, <laughs> you know? And um, I do think there's a lot, a lot of good songs on that record still. And I think it is a lot different, though. I think it's a lot heavier than most of the songs I'm a series of. But like, not, not always. I mean, there, I think there are massive moments in the series of. But I think there were also like really like there were like breakdowns on the price of comfort. So it was just like uh, me trying to find my sound. And I think the series of is taking that sound and like just polishing it a little more, you know. But I hope people would go back and listen to it because I, I still think it's a great record. And I think like 
My Anxious Soul is one of my favorite songs I'll ever write. And um, same with The First Days of July and Do It Better. And there's a bunch of songs in that album that, I, that still mean a lot to me. I think they just got overshadowed by like me losing my mind and then the world shutting down. I could just like, you know, it, it was just like, it was over before it started, in my opinion. You know, so this was this album was try, trying to like not let that happen again. Yeah, and, and you mentioned kind of like the the highs and lows and the price of comfort um, that you're trying to convey. And it's kind of like, it seems like you've kind of had some of those as well with a series of, you know, you've kind of had these really high moments, you know, with the record release of the release show and, you know, being on Refresh Records and stuff. But you also kind of had some of these setbacks, like having to cancel the tour that you were supposed to be on earlier this month. Um, can you talk about kind of like the overall like recent challenges and achievements and kind of how you're feeling about music at the moment? Yeah, definitely. I think like, so like I lost, I lost my job. Uh, I worked at this like local place called Caribbea in Scranton for like three and a half years up until June, 2020. And then I lost my job and I filed for unemployment in, in that summer. And that's when I started recording and I was just like, I'm just going to ride this out invest all my time and all my money finally into what I need to do. And that's my music. And um, for about like a year straight, it was just like a ton of momentum, just like recording the record and then getting signed, getting uh, my manager page, uh, linking up with Pathfinder booking. It was just like one thing after the next. And it, it definitely made me feel like I'm finally doing this. And I, I think my thing is I, I, I get so like emotionally attached to what I put out that like I just, I needed to be what I like expected. My expectations are always extremely high. So I think like the month leading up to the release, it was just like really, really good. The release show was awesome. We had like 300 people at the show and it was my first show back in like two years. So it was definitely like a lot of encouraging signs there. And then, um, we really ended like, 2021 on a good note we had a lot of good shows um we played with the menzingers and like everything was going well but i still wasn't getting like the press i wanted for it but i know like i'm always going to be like my biggest critic and i'm always going to be harder on myself than like anyone else so i tend to like really beat myself up if things aren't going the way i want them to go and of course like my opinion <laughs> will always be that i want everyone in the world to hear my album that's never going to be the case, but it's all I want. And, uh, you know, so 2021 started and I just had a horrible feeling like as, as 20, or, sorry, 2022 started. I don't even know what year we ended anymore. <laughs> um, so as the like, last year ended, I started getting this feeling like I, I don't think this tour is going to work out in February. And we've been planning it for like a long fucking time. And I just knew like it just wasn't going to happen because these cases were rising and then we ended up canceling it like I think January 1st, like we decided to pull the plug and we, we never even announced it. You know, we were just trying to get it to go and then shows were dropping because the venues saying like, we're not going to be doing shows this month for all the cases. So like it just became a mess. And, uh, it was definitely like a really hard pill to swallow. And at that point, like that was what I had to look forward to was like this tour and like pushing these songs. And I just didn't want a repeat of, the same shit that happened to the price of comfort to happen now. And even though like we've already are like light years ahead of that album, like I still have like high expectations for it. And, um, you know, so I wasn't getting the press I wanted. 
like just reviews and whatnot. Um, and then the tour getting canceled really sucked. And then I got COVID like right after. And then, uh, just like January was just like a pretty rough month overall. So like now where I'm at, like it definitely, I think most people can relate is again, like the ups and downs of it is like you're going to have like months where things are just going off. And then you're going to have slow months. And it, the thing is like anything that's just not like constantly changing, like how I, it was for months for me, like every month something new is happening and then it slows down for even just a month. It really fucks with you because you feel like you're like, shit, I'm, I'm falling behind. Like this is uh like, I'm letting this slide. I'm not, you know, using my time to my advantage and you just freak out about everything. And you know, that's why it's nice to have Paige and Josh and Refresh just to, like, tell me, like, just relax. Like, everything comes and goes, you know? And, like, that's how that's how everything is with an album. It's going to be highs and lows. And that I think, you know, we tend to focus on, like, the first three to six months of an album being out. Not even. Like, the first month of the album is, like, I think most people think you got that month to make it work. And, like, that's it. And I think that's something that has to change in the music industry because, like, people move on from stuff too quick and don't let things like have time to breathe and whatnot. And my goal is hopefully now throughout the next year, like just more and more people can keep discovering it and listening to it. And now that the records are in, like now it's officially out, you know, like digitally was one thing, but I think physical, having a physical product is a whole different thing. And like, you can have like people like, obviously, like you said, that's what drew you in, you know, and I'm hoping that that happens, you know, for the next couple of months and whatnot. So <laughs> after all of that, I think, I think things are still going well <laughs> in terms of music. I still get like discouraged and freaked out all the time. I think I could literally like win a Grammy and I'd still be freaking out. Like I just, I'm all, I'm always going to be freaking out because I always just want to keep moving forward. But I know that like I will get there, whether it takes a year or a couple more years or what, I just have to keep doing it, you know, because, if you stop, you're never going to go. For sure. Yeah, I think, like, especially because um, because of, like, the hiatus I was on with the podcast, like, I feel like I have discovered recently a lot of stuff that I missed at the tail end of last year. And I think that that and, you know, always I'm always, you know, just I'm looking for bands that I want to talk to, not bands that necessarily had just released something. But I think kind of like the the combo of those two things has made me realize recently that it is like, it is a long-term thing, you know, releasing an album. It's not just this immediate thing. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I think like a perfect example is like one of my favorite bands. Um, they're called Gang of Buttes. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. <laughs> they're like this, like, if you listen to my music, and then you listen to them to understand why <laughs> like this massive sound that I try to create um, is mainly just like a mix of like, like my three biggest bands in my life are like the Gaslight Anthem, the National and the Gang of Buttes. So I feel like growing up on all these, like, you know, on these bands and like really discovering the National and Gang of Buttes over the last couple of years, like it's changed the way I've written my songs and whatnot. But regardless, they put an album out called Go Farther and Lightness came out in August, 2017. And their new album comes out at midnight. And that's, this is the first album since, since 2017. So they took like four plus years to put a new record out. And I kind of love that because like, one, it, it makes people, it forces people to continue to keep listening to a record because like a record is new 
to anyone that hasn't heard it, you know? So I always feel like the new music Fridays and stuff. And it's like, if you've never heard my album, it's still new, you know? Like, um, so I kind of like just really letting things grow and taking time with it because like now they're about to put an album out tomorrow, you know? And, and they built this massive, like, you know, like hype for this record because it's the first album in like four years, you know? And I think like, just letting things breathe and exist for a while is like the way to go instead of just like trying to pump out music every two years because then it's not going to be authentic and it's not going to be like what you want it's just to like you know just to like keep being like relevant when in reality i think like i would rather be relevant for like what i spent the last two years of my life doing you know not just like constantly going to the next thing for sure yeah i mean i've noticed you on especially on Twitter and stuff like you continuously promoting the album. And on one of the podcasts I was listening to when I was, you know, doing research, it was kind of like mentioning you um, putting up like a ton of flyers for your release show. Um, can you talk a little about kind of like that, you know, that DIY promotional ethic? Yeah, definitely. I just think like it's entirely, obviously it's, it's totally reliant on everybody else too. You know, I think every like, shares every single thing matters so much every person matters like every like even if one person today you know just finds my record and listens to it like that's still so important and i think like constantly sharing it has allowed me to just like if, if it gets one person to hear it then i'm doing something right you know it's still one other person that like has never heard my album before and could potentially like my stuff maybe buy a record or come to a show or tell somebody else you know and um, in terms of like the flyers of the show, I just thought like, uh, you have to constantly do it and promote what you're trying to do. And, you know, I think marketing and advertisement is huge in terms of like trying to get people to listen and whatnot. And I think like, I literally put flyers everywhere in Scranton. I actually got somebody, somebody complained to me, which is hilarious. This older dude from Scranton emailed me yelling at me in a very passive, passive aggressive email about my flyers. <laughs> and uh, I just like couldn't get over it. But I, uh, I just wanted to do it because I figured anywhere anyone went, like, oh shit, there's a flyer for the show. There's a flyer for the same show. And if people keep seeing it, they're like, like, what the hell is this? You know, if I know if I keep walking around and I keep seeing something, I'll eventually give in. Like, okay, like, what am I looking at? You know? Um, so I just tried, when it, when, to me, like, this album is like my life's work, at least to now. You know, this is like the, mo it's, like, the most important thing I've ever done. And like, my most prized possession. And I'll do anything possible to get someone else to hear it. Not only just because, like, it's not even in the sense that I like I want to sell records and make money and stuff like that. I just want people to hear my music because it's like what I feel like I'm supposed to do on this planet. You know, I just uh, whatever I got to do to do it. You know. Nice. I love that for sure. <laughs> um, and then you know, I always like to wrap up the same way, which is by asking for either a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately, whether it's music or life or anything else that uh, you'd just like to share? That's awesome. Um, uh, that's a good thing. I mean, I think like, I don't know, I feel like just try, like, anyone listening to like a musician or just anything in life, I feel like there's always going to be so many ups and downs, you know, and like things get so discouraging. But at the same time, like if you take a step back and like, even if I just really think about it, like this past hour talking to you is delightful. And I would not be talking to you if it wasn't for like not giving up on music, you know? And 
I think most of the, like the most human experiences I've had have come through art and music. And that's because I just continue to try to persevere through anything that's hard and difficult. And, um, though, like, I think the most rewarding aspects of writing music are like moments like these where like, I, I just get to talk to someone who, you know, I've never met and, is so natural and, and easy and like fun and something exciting to do. So I feel like I just try to tell people like, cause I feel like a lot of the times people will come up out to me and on the surface, it'll look like things are going super, super well. And everyone's like, God, you're killing it. Like everything's going well. And it's funny. Cause like, I never think that, <laughs> you know, I always think shit, everything's going wrong. And in reality, it's not the case. It's just, you know, it's just, I always want more. And if I thought about the way people viewed me, if all these people think like things are going well, I'm like maybe they are, and I just need to take it like one day at a time, you know. So um, I don't even know if that's advice or not, but I would just tell people not to get discouraged in a very trying world because I think that uh, all good things take a lot of time and practice and effort, and I think the the most like beautiful aspects of all of them are not like the the stats and the sales and all that stuff. It's, it's just like moments like these or moments after shows or just anything like that. You know, if you can just do anything, if any, like just any circumstance that can come from creating something, I think it's just like a beautiful thing. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's especially relevant uh, given the current circumstances of the world. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I, 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 I really think like, you know, we're not here forever, you know? So like, if you want to create something and you're, and you're afraid to do it, just do it, you know, because like, you never know what the hell can happen, you know, like, I think everyone should just not, like, I don't know, I think like writing music or writing just in general, any type of, any way to be creative is so uh, necessary, and I wish people wouldn't get discouraged so easily, because uh, I, everyone needs it, and I think like, for more reasons than just like being a famous musician, I think it is. It, about the connections you make throughout the entire process that make it worth it, you know, because there's a lot of horrible people in the music industry. There's also a lot of really, really awesome people, you know, and you're going to get, you're going to deal with both of them. So it's just like, you can either let the, uh, whatever aspect of, you know, that you're like in, whatever field you're in, there's always going to be good and bad people. And I think it's like moments like these where you just get to sit and talk about life and whatever it's like that's why this is cool you know because you just get to connect with people and i think at the end of the day that's all anybody wants it's just like a connection of some sort yeah that's definitely definitely my preferred way to connect with music as well <laughs> oh yeah definitely you know i think i think that's like my biggest goal is to make people feel the way i feel it's like i, I go back to getting the views because i know in in four hours and i listen to this album and, and transcend forever my life will never be the same you know and like i want that like i want people to feel that feeling when i do something and like that's my goal it's like if i can make one person do that then i am i am making a difference in some way for sure for sure <laughs> and i mean is there anything uh that we haven't hit on yet that you've been uh, really wanting to get out there uh, i don't know i think i think that's you know pretty much it i just uh yeah, I just I, I'm just excited the vinyls in. So if people like vinyl, 
I hope they order some records because we got some beautiful gold and sunset variant records. And as you said, the layout is awesome. I can't, can't, like, that's like, I, I think it's one of the coolest album layouts I've ever seen in my life. And I can't believe it's mine, <laughs> you know, and I get to say that because I didn't draw it. So it's not like I'm like, this is the best record of all time. <laughs> it's, I think the layout's fucking amazing. And I think, uh, it's just everything about it's so cool. So yeah, I just, I hope if whoever listens to this, I just hope they, they check the record out and, you know, uh, just hopefully they like it. And there you have it, my conversation with James Barrett. Uh, Be sure to pick up the vinyl from Refresh Records. It looks absolutely stunning, and the packaging is amazing. And, I mean, if you haven't heard the album already, definitely check it out. I highly recommend it. It's easily become one of my favorite albums of last year. And, you know, in other news, I went to my first indoor concert on Monday. It was the Wonder Years 10-year Suburbia and the Upsides tour, and it was amazing. It felt so good to be back. It felt really actually pretty comfortable. There was a good amount of distance between people. They checked Vax and negative test status at the door, and I would say probably close to half the people were masked, which seriously, I very much appreciated. Safe Base, Origami Angel, Spanish Love Songs, and of course the Wonder Years all killed it. And as a special bonus, I got to see one of my favorite Wonder Years besides live, which is Love and House 1130. Truly just such a fun one, and one not many people in the crowd knew, but again, I highly suggest you check that one out as well because, like I said, it's one of my favorites. One of the fastest, one of my favorites. Be sure to check back tomorrow because I'll have another new episode coming at you. And until next time, Blind the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Jariah for the theme song, and Michaela Jane for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyingTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyingTheCallPod at gmail.com. Do what makes you happy. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.